We'd like to welcome everyone today. If you're a guest with us for the first time, we're so glad you're here worshiping with us this morning. Amen. Praise God. If you have a Bible, you'd like to turn with me to Micah chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you something to look at on the screen here in a moment. Micah chapter 7, verse number 7. Micah 7, verse... Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation... My God will hear me. Do me a favor. Go back to that verse. Let's read that last part together. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Say this with confidence. My God will hear me. Say that again. That's just something that happens when you speak that out. My God will hear me. Turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor. My God will hear me. Next verse. Rejoice not against me. Notice you can't get to this part unless you believe the first part. Go back again real quick. They make sure they understand where we're coming from. You can't rejoice unless you truly believe my God will hear me. But if you believe my God will hear me, then you can say verse 8. Rejoice, not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Why? Because my God will hear me. Why? Because my God will hear me. So I want to... Preach just for a moment today on this subject. When you can't get out, God can get in. When you can't get out, God can get in. Actually, turn to your neighbor and tell them that with some faith. You know what, neighbor? When you can't get out, God can get in. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated this morning. During the Second World War, there were many soldiers, as in any war, there were many soldiers that were captured and put into prison camps. There's something about a soldier that desires to be in the fight. And so when a soldier is captured and put into a prison camp, his first initial desire is to escape that place. And so, all across Germany, there were different prison camps that were being used for captured American and British soldiers. And so they determined that the guys that were really good at escaping, that would have escape, get caught, Escape, get caught. Finally, they decided that they needed to build a prison that could withstand and withhold these troublemakers, these, these guys that were good at escaping. And so they built a prison camp, or prison, a prison called Colditz Castle. And it was built to be a castle that you could not escape from. In fact, it was the only prison camp that there were more guards than prisoners. But because of the nature still of the prisoners, there were still those that tried to escape. In fact, during that period of time, there were over 300 people that tried to escape. Of those 300, actually 130 made it outside the walls. And of those 130, only about 20 truly escaped. 
It became sort of a game that they played, and so they began to sort of meticulously write down the different ways that they were trying to escape, not only for their own records, but I guess for historical prudence. And so they begin to write down and some of the things that were done to try to escape. For instance, Peter Allen was smuggled out of the camp in a straw mattress, but his plot was discovered when a soldier stepped on one of his accomplishments that lay on the ground in another mattress. Lieutenant Schmiel tried to slide down a rope of bed sheets hung from the castle attic window, but the nails in his boots scraped the wall and the noise gave him away. Patrick Reed slipped out of the prison through a drain cover, but was caught by a fluke when a German just happened to be standing on the very lawn where his escape tunnel ended. French Lieutenant exited the prison disguised as a woman, but was discovered when a polite German guard chased him down to return a wristwatch he had dropped on the way out. There were some Dutch prisoners that tried to trick the guards into thinking that they were all present at roll by standing a dummy in the middle of the ranks, but the guards figured out quickly that was weird because they realized some of the soldiers were missing feet. There was others that tried to escape. One tried to escape through a hole in the lavatory. In case you don't know what that means, he tried to escape through where all the stuff went. That's desperate right there. But found that he was caught by the scratching noise as he tried to work his way through the drainage pipes. In fact, one of the greatest escapes that was, a, that was uh, plotted never happened. They began to take pieces of the bed frame. They began to take pieces of the wall. They began to take things that would not be missed. And they started building a glider behind a fake wall. The war ended before they could try to fly their glider. But you see this happened over and over again. And when you escaped and you were caught, you were brought back and you were put into confinement, solitary confinement. You were set there for whether it was one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, depending on the severity of your escape and depending on how many times you try to do that. But eventually there was some that recorded in all of this that the desire for the enemy was to break the will of the soldier to take away hope that escape was ever an option. And if I can take away your hope, I can take away your will to try to escape. And so some testified of the fact, after failed attempt, after failed attempt, they eventually got to the point that they started believing there was no hope. They talked about the feeling, the sinking feeling that would begin to approach them and kind of, to kind of wash over them when they, when they begin to come to the grips. I'm never getting out of here. If the war doesn't end, I'm never getting out of here. I'm in this situation. I'm stuck in here until. I remember years ago, I had an opportunity through some connections I was invited to go and speak at the maximum security prison for Maryland out in Cumberland. It is Maryland's death row. It is where the worst of the worst are kept. And so I was invited to come and speak to a group of prisoners. And I remember they brought us into this room and we were locked in there with them which was interesting to say the least. There was about 25 men there. And of those 25 men, over 14 of them were serving life without parole sentences. 14 of those 25, the other 11 were serving 20, 30 years, 40 years. These weren't guys that were in prison for a few days. These were guys that were lifers. And I remember when I spoke and, and there was a, a man that came up to me when it was done and, and he said, you have a moment to, to speak with me? I said, sure. He said, I'd like to tell you my story. I said, okay. He said, at the age of 17, I murdered three people. 
He said, because of the severity of the crime, I was tried as an adult, even though I was still only 17. And the judge and the jury determined my guilt, but the judge sentenced me at 17 years old to life without parole. He said, at first, at 17, I did not really grasp what I was getting myself into. He said, the first few years, there was a little bit of a novelty to it. There was sort of getting used and adjusted to this life. You weren't really looking beyond the day of surviving that day. You were trying to sort of find your place. And for the first couple of years, it, it didn't really bother me. I, I, he said, I had a rough life growing up and, uh, I, you know, things weren't great. And so for a little bit, there was some comfort in the fact I was in a place where I didn't have to worry about going in at a job. I didn't have to worry about bills. I didn't have to worry about what I was going to eat. Yeah, it was prison, but, you know, it had been sort of a little better than what I was used to. He said, but as time began to click away, he said a few years turned into five years and five years turned into ten years and ten years then turned into fifteen years. And at 32 years old, only 32 years old, I'd been in prison for 15 years. And he said, I remember about that time around the 15 year mark. I think at the time he had spoken to me, I think he was 41, so he was... Uh, 23 years into it, I guess, at that time, 24 years into it. He said, at the 15-year mark, it really started to sink in. I'm 32 years old. I'm strong. I'm healthy. Without any major things in my life, I could live to 70, 80. He said, I started looking at that. I've been in here for 15 years. If I live to 80... That's almost another 50 years of my life in this place. He said, looking at the same walls, looking at the same deal, never seeing what's beyond that fence. Hearing stories about how the world is changing, but never really getting to experience that. And all the things that were going on and watching holidays tick by and things go by and then starting to have that kind of desire to, What it would have been like to have a family. What it would have been like to have a wife. What it would have been like to have children. What it would have been like if I would actually made something myself. And he said, all this started to kind of just wash over me. And it started getting darker and darker and darker. And I started losing more and more and more and more and more hope of it. And he said, it got to the point where literally I felt like just something would sit on my chest when I woke up in the morning. It felt like just this, this, this weight would be on my chest. He said some mornings it was almost too much. I couldn't barely breathe. And this kind of pattern, he said, I just, I, 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 I didn't know. How can I do this? How can I continue to live like this? What can I do? And he said, finally I decided enough is enough. I can't do this anymore. And he said, I finally had gotten the necessary tools. He didn't tell me what they were. I didn't ask. Some things you just don't ask. He said, I'd gotten the necessary tools that I needed to end my life. He said, I I, I was done. I was through. He said, I knew I was never getting out of here. The judge, when he said life without parole, I knew that was the end for me. I knew there was never a time where I was going to be able to walk outside these walls ever again. And he said, the only way I could get out of this situation was death. And he said, I never imagined I would be that person. But he said, I had lost so much hope that I thought that was the best thing for me. And so he said, I would gotten the necessary things that I needed in order to take care of this. He said he had planned it out. It was going to be on such and such a date. When lights went out and everybody was going to sleep, he said, that's when I was going to do what I needed to do. And when they woke up in the morning and they discovered that I had died, he said, no one was going to miss me. But he said, something happened the day. He said, literally the day 
that I was going to have this happen to me. He said, literally, I got an invitation. Somebody said, we got a Bible study this evening. He said, why don't you come? He said, I not really, never really gave God much. But he said, you know what? I got to kill some time. Literally, that's what he said. I got to kill some time. I might as well go to the Bible study, at least kill some time. When I come back, I'll just do what I need to do. He goes to the Bible study knowing full well that in his mind, he is ticking down the time when his life will end. And he goes to this Bible study. And when he goes to this Bible study, he begins to hear about the hope of Jesus Christ. And at that Bible study that night, he was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he said, when that happened, it so changed me. He said, the thought of death, I didn't want to die. He said, because I'd found such a hope in Jesus. He said, I wanted to make sure every man in that prison knew there was hope in Jesus. And that was at 32 and at 41. He said, I spent the last nine years talking to everybody that will listen to me, telling them that there is hope. And he said, I, from a, he said, from a natural perspective, I've got no hope. He said, I know now at 41 years old, I will be in here the rest of my life. He said, I know I will never get out of here. And he, he told me, he said, do you know there are 13 other men in this room tonight? He said that I have personally been involved with bringing them here. 13 other men that are in the same sentence I am. They are facing this prison for the rest of their life with no chance of parole. But he said, you don't understand, preacher, the hope that we have found in Jesus. You know, for you and I to say we found hope, is something that seems, you know, that's nice. But for somebody that's in a situation that there's literally no other answer to, that the only thing that seems like the answer is death, for them to say, when I couldn't get out, he could get in. When I couldn't find my way out, when there was no hope, when the walls were shut in and the doors were locked and the key was thrown away, when I couldn't get out, I'm so thankful that God could still get in. Maybe today, you know, no, we're sitting here and all of us have our freedom. And yes, we're not in a prison camp. We're not in prison. We have our freedom to whatever degree that is today. We have our freedom but just because we're not in physical prison, there are some of us in here today that we are in the prison of depression, we're in the prison of fear, we're in the prison of hopelessness, we're in the prison of our circumstance. We may not be in a prison with physical walls, but there are some of you here today, and I'm not just talking to the guests, I'm talking about some of you that come here every week, that your life has become its own prison, where you feel like there's nothing that's ever going to happen to change where I'm at, and you begin to look at life and you just see the same song playing over and over and over again. And no matter how much you try to do, and no matter what you think, you just say, it seems like it's going to be this way forever. And I'm here to tell you today, in the Holy Ghost, when you can't get out, God can get in. When you can't get out, God can still get in. Because you see, we find throughout Scripture, story after story, men and women that were in situations that they were losing hope. But even in those hopeless situations where they could not get out, God always could find a way in. We find the story of Jonah. It's a Sunday school story. It's told Jonah in the whale. Some of you know it. We've talked about it. Kids know it. Jonah was supposed to be going to Nineveh to deliver a word from God. He didn't want to do that. So guess what he did? He jumped on a boat going the opposite direction. Problem was, God wasn't really happy with that. So God sent a storm. 
The boat started to rock. The boat started to go down. And the sailors realized, wait a minute. We think somebody's on this boat that's cursing this boat. We got to find out who it is. So they all drew lots and realized, guess what? Jonah, you're the problem. So they threw Jonah on out. The Bible talks about there was a great fish that came and swallowed Jonah. Can't imagine what it must have been. I believe I'm correct on this. He spent three days. Right on that? Three days? Three days. Three days in that three days. In, not three hours. Three days in that fish. Three days in a fish. No light. I know there's, I've seen like, little, my, I think my daughters have a, a kid Bible that someone gave them when they were little. And one of the, has a story of Jonah. And in that story, it's the fish. And you got to look in its belly. And there's Noah sitting there, and Jonah sitting there with like a little lamp. I don't think there was a lamp in that fish. Where did it get the lamp? How did he light it? I'm like, wait a minute, that's not right. He's in this fish. Total darkness. The smell. Oh, my God. The stench. And it wasn't like the fish was just sitting around. That fish was moving. And so he was moving. And that fish was taking in other stuff constantly. So he was constantly being inundated by more and more junk coming in. And I'm wondering somewhere, even though it was only three days, somewhere in that, did Jonah begin to think, I wonder if I've really made a big mistake here. Nineveh may be bad, but it can't be quite this bad. And I wonder if he started to think, wait a minute, I don't don't know. I don't know if I'm going to... Maybe this was... Maybe this is the end. This is how I'm going to go out. I'm going to be in this fish. I'm going to die in this fish. And sometimes mistakes feel that way. You make a mistake. And then you get put in a situation where you're dealing with the filth and the junk of that mistake. And now you're dealing with stench and darkness, smell. And you know what the problem is? Sin produces fruit in your life. So sin begins begat sin. It, sin produces sin. And you begin to say, and so not only you're dealing with the first mistake, but then you're dealing with the repercussions of that mistake as it sort of begins to mushroom out. And he's now just not dealing with the fact, you know what, I should have gone to Nineveh. Now I'm dealing with the fact I didn't go to Nineveh and I'm dealing with all the stuff that's going in there. But in that situation where he couldn't get out, God found a way in, and what was that way? The Bible says that he began to repent. He began to repent. What is repentance? Repentance means he began to change his mind. He began to realize, I've got to change something. You know what, Brother Jetty, sometimes when we can't get out, we put the emphasis on God. If you really love me, you'd break your way in here. But if God took you out without you changing, you're going to get another prison. You're going to find your way back in the same situation. So what does God do? In His love and mercy, He leaves you there until you realize, I've got to change. It's not that person. It's not this. It's not that. It's not my situation. It's not my mother. It's not my father. It's not what I was brought up. It's not this. It's not that. It's me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not this. Oh, those mean people in Nineveh. They were so messed up and so crazy. I wouldn't have had to go to Nineveh. I wouldn't have got myself. No, Jonah. The fact of the matter is you're the one that needs to change. But watch this. The moment he began to repent, God said, okay. The Bible says that fish spewed him out. Why? Because there was a way out. When he couldn't find a way out, God found a way in. God found a way in. Because Jonah 
was really to repent. Folks, there's some of you in here today, you're wanting God to get you out of the situation you're in. But there's got to be something in you that's willing to say, you know what? I've got to make some changes in my life. There's a saying that says, nothing changes unless something changes. If you do what you've always done, you will get what you've always gotten. And what does God do? God in His mercy puts us in situations. Why? Because if we're not going to fall on the rock ourselves, the rock's going to fall on us. But one way or another, if you're going to make it, you're going to have to go through a time where something in you is broken. We're going to deviate for a second. I feel the Holy Ghost here. There's going to be a time in you where your will and your dreams and your desire is going to have to be put on the altar. And you're going to have to say, God, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And you know what? God is his mercy. He's either going to let you do that on your own or he's going to put you in situations until that becomes your prayer. Why? Because it's about you so that you, you can let Him live through you. As we sing that song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you. A good parent doesn't always just clean up the mistakes their child made. A good parent helps a child understand the mistakes they made so they can grow from that. God is the greatest father of them all. Just because His love doesn't mean He's going to rush in and clean up all of your mistakes. Is he, can He clean them up? Yes. But there's something in you you've got to begin to realize. I've got some things I've got to change. There was three boys. I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm almost done. There was three boys. Three Hebrew boys. Most of you know their name. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There are three boys that were in captivity in in Babylon during the reign of the king there in Babylon that had erected a statue to himself. And the decree went out to those all there, not just simply to the Babylonians, but also to the Jews. That when the music begins to play, everyone should bow. The music played, make a long story short, music played. These three fellows decided we're not bowing to that king because we serve God. Because of that, the punishment was, we're going to put you in this furnace, burn you alive. And so the king prepared... The execution, in fact, his desire, I guess, was to make it quick or more spectacular, one or the other. He decided, let's make it even hotter. It was so hot that even the guards that were there stoking the fire and putting the prisoners in to the fire, it was so hot that the guards even died. And so you have these three boys that go into the fire, and to make a long story short, guess what? They go in there, they don't burn. And the king comes back to check on and find out what's going on. And he said, didn't we throw three men in the fire? He said, yeah. He said, why is there four in the fire? Guess what, folks? There are some of you, you're wondering, God, I did your will. But yet I find myself in this place. God, I was trying to do what you wanted me to do. I was trying to stand for what I believe in, what you've given me, the revelation you've given me. I was trying to stand, and why have you put me in this place? But you know what? Those three boys saw God like I've never seen him. And you know what? If you would just be patient, God will show you stuff in that place you can't see outside. You'll see things in the fire that you can't see in the smoke. You'll see things in that darkness you can't see anywhere else. Hang in there. Hang in there. You say, God, why are you doing this to me? I'm I'm trying to follow. You know what? The biggest 
lie is that following the will of God will make your life perfect. And the biggest lie is to use circumstances to determine the will of God. Oh, can I just teach for five minutes? Just give me five minutes to teach. Circumstances and the will of God don't always match up. And some of us determine the will of God based on our circumstances. If things are going good, must be the will of God. If things are going bad, not the will of God. The will of God is the will of God despite my circumstances. Because in the will of God, you're going to have mountains, you're going to have valleys, but it doesn't change the will of God. Look at Paul in the will of God. Did he go through anything? I think he did. Floating on that piece of wood in the middle of the ocean after a shipwreck. Guess what little Paul was doing? I'm in the will of God. It stinks, but it's... We never find Paul crying out to God, Oh, I missed you, God. Oh, I missed it somewhere. Forgive me for not following your will. I should have never got on that boat. I should have never got on that boat. I knew it. I should have never missed the will. I missed your will because if I, would have, if I would have, wouldn't have got on this boat, I wouldn't be in this shipwreck. No, you got on the boat because God got you on the boat. You're shipwrecked because God wants you to float to an island where there's some people that need to hear the gospel. And if you'd have stayed on your boat, you would have passed an opportunity. Some of you, boy, you, 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 you follow the will of God and somehow things haven't turned out quite the way you want. And so you're like, did I miss God? I'm not saying you missed him or not. I'm just simply saying don't judge the will of God. Here's how you judge the will of God. Do you have peace? I know we're teaching for a second, but that's okay. Some of you need to hear this. The will of God is determined simply by one thing. Do you have peace? Because circumstances change, man. It, circumstances. My goodness. In the will of God, there's good days or bad days. In the will of God, there's ups and downs. You can marry in the will of God. Doesn't that mean you're never going to have a fight? You marry the will of God doesn't mean you can wake up with bad breath. You can be married in the will of God. It doesn't mean you're not going to have some bumps along the way where you literally want, have to go to separate corners. Let's separate. That's eight second count. You go to your corner. You go to your corner. Ding, 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 go. <laughs> but it doesn't determine the will of God. Will of God doesn't mean you're going to wake up every morning and look across and go, I have been blessed this morning. To be married to you and be your company. And I get to spend all day with you, your cherished angel of God that has been given to me in this perfect will, in this perfect union that was ordained from the foundation of the world. <laughs> and all the married people laugh. <laughs> Trust me. There were a lot of times in marriage, in 14 years of marriage, that marriage wasn't great, but it didn't determine the will, change the will of God. Because in all of that, when the dust settled, there was still peace. Now, the scary part is when the dust settles, there's no peace. You might need to backtrack. But even in that, I, I, I... we're off the notes here, but that's okay because I'm, I'm, I'm on something here and I can't stop it. But here's the point. You backtrack. What time is it? 11, 16. You backtrack. Here's the problem. You miss the will of God. You move, you leave your peace. Here's the problem. Here's where you are. My, my prop master, would you go down there for me? There you go. There you go, right? That set's perfect. We're just perfect alignment. I'm here. That's where God has, that's the will of God, the direction of God in my life that's taking me, going this way. I'm going that way. I'm doing it. There's times I got to step over some stuff. There's times I got to go under some stuff. It's, there's a journey in this to get from here to there. It's all about the will. I know where God's taking me. But here's the problem. All of us, all of us, I say all of us, there's probably one angelic being in here. God bless you. 
But for the rest of us, I'll turn around. There are no wings on that back. For the rest of us, normal people, it's not always a perfect journey. And in that journey, guess what happens? There are times where we begin to take some steps in the wrong direction. And then we come to ourselves and realize, wait a minute. God had given me a line, a direction, and I'm over here. Oh, God, help me. This is the way we think. I know you've heard of this. Some of you have heard of this already, but help me. Listen to me. This is the way we think. Okay, God, I've, made, I've messed up. I made a mistake. All right, forgive me. Okay, I've got to go back over here. All right, let's, let's try it again. No! There's nothing that says you've got to go back. Because this is how God works. You're here. You're supposed to be following the path he's given you. But because we're normal and we're humans, we find ourselves drifting sometimes. And then we finally come to ourselves and we realize, Jonah, this fish stinks. And we realize, okay, I don't want to live in this fish anymore. I want to change. But he didn't have to go back on the boat all the way back to port. All he had to do was acknowledge he had made a mistake. He had missed it. And from that place there, God plotted a new course. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. There's no need to go back and start again because the blood has washed away the old path and the blood has made a new path. So it's like some of us are like, well, I've, I've, messed, I've, I've spent so much time. I've lost so much time. Only your time. You haven't lost God's time. Because when you finally let God plot a new course, eternally, all of that has been washed away. And to God, that old course never existed. It's just a new course. That's easy to live, folks. There's no pressure in that. Because you know what? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you know what that means? The chances of me taking a step forward today are about 50-50. And usually me, I take step forward in the morning. Woo, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, God. I'm waking up in the morning. It's going to be a good day. And by lunchtime, I'm over here. Good Lord Jesus. Should have gone back to bed. But to realize, it's not God's expectation. For me, it's like playing, forgive me, I'm going to give away my age a little bit. Mario. Little Mario on the first original Nintendo. Here's little Mario. He bounces along. He's hopping on mushrooms and hopping on these little clouds and coins are popping out and all that. Guess what happens on most of the Mario when you die? You go all the way back to the start. Because if you just died and kept going, the game wouldn't be challenging. Well, guess what? We're not playing Mario. We don't start back over at the beginning of the mushroom road every time we make a mistake. Wherever you make a mistake, at that moment, God plots a new course. There's some of you today... That you come here every week, but you've, you've had some stuff. You've had, you, you, you know, you haven't been perfect. You hung up your halo and your wings a little while ago, and you grew some horns and a pitchfork. I don't know what happened, but you haven't, hasn't been right. Hasn't been perfect. Okay, fine. But let's stop looking at what we haven't done and look at what he can do. Let's stop looking at where we are and realize where we are, we can't change, but where we can't get out, he can get in. Where I can't get out. You know what the, you know what the devil, he is a master. A master. We talked about this at Young Adults on Friday night. One of the biggest lies Satan uses on all of us is that if we give our life to God, it's going to make it miserable. Seriously. Boy, if you give your life to God, it's going to be boring. 
You're going to sit around and read your Bible all day. You're going to be praying 24 hours a day. You've got to go to church all the time. You're not going to have any fun. It's just, ugh. And so this is like, well, if I give my life to God, I'm not going to have any. My life is, I'm just going to be this sort of robotic Christian. I just sort of lose my personality and I just become this sort of robot that walks into church and lifts my hand. And then when you realize and you give yourself to God and you realize how amazing it is, it makes you so frustrated, Mike, that you didn't do it sooner. I, I use this and I'm closing with this. Chris can come and give him some hope. I, I use this, and this about eight years ago. Some of you know the story, and I don't want to go into all the detail. Another time, another place. But eight years ago, my wife and I were kind of, we had sort of thought our ministry path was this way, and then God said, "No, actually, it's not that way. It's this way." But He didn't put the blinker on, and we weren't strapped in, and so He was going that way, and we were still going this way, and we were smashed up against the window of the car as it turned, as we held on. <laughs> And in that, in that whole deal, there was this such a massive internal struggle inside of me. And man, if I do this, if I do this, man, my life's just, I don't know if that's, my life's just going to be, oh, I don't know. Ooh. So there's this huge, massive struggle. There's no way that can, if I do that, Ah, that's not who I am. I can't do that. Finally, in all that struggle, I finally just did what all of us finally do in the end. I finally said, okay, God, have it your way. And I, I will never forget when, when finally gave, gave it to God and, we, and did what God wanted us to do. I'll never forget, I lived so frustrated because it was so amazing. I couldn't enjoy it because I was so mad at myself that I made it so hard. If I just let God, and I would let just follow God, I would have saved myself so much angst. But I was so frustrated I'd done that. And I'm so mad I'd listen to that stinking, lying voice. I'm trying to think of a pastoral way to say it. I'm trying to, there's a lot of words coming, but they're not pastoral. And this is recorded. We have a beat back there you can put on. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> I need to have a designated person sit up here. When I want to say something, I say, can you say that for me? I can't, but I really want to. That voice, I mean, oh, God, that voice. Oh, I listened to that sneaky, lying little voice in my head that was telling me a lie, and I bought it. When I finally realized, man, not that I didn't hate the devil before, but he went, he went higher on the list. I made a new list because that voice, some of you are listening to that voice today. Oh, if you give yourself, if you let God do what he wants to do, you might as well just pack it in. I mean, you're going to get a job down at the Amish market because that's basically what your life's going to be like. <laughs> Boring and... <laughs> Grow a little beard and we're all black. Be in mourning and sell gummy bears. I mean, just, hey, they do have the best gummy bears in the world. I'm telling you. I don't know where they get them. That Amish know how to do some gummy bears. I guess because they do them without electricity. I don't know how they do them. But they make them some way. Can you make them gummy bears without electricity? Oh, Jesus, we're deviating quickly. Reel it in. Woo! Back it up. Back up the truck. That's what it feels like. There's no way I can't do that. I can't do that. If I do that, you know how boring my life's going to be. But that is a lie from the pit of hell. 
It's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. Because when you finally say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm willing to do. And God finally begins to do that. And you realize, my goodness, this is amazing. And you realize, I should have done this a long time ago. Would you stand with me today? I won't ask this as a public display, simply asking you to answer this internally. But are you in a situation today or just in a place of life? Whatever is defined by that, whether it's an emotional place, a natural place, situation, but you're just in a place of life where you feel like you're surrounded You feel like there is no way out. I'm here to tell you today, when you can't get out, God can get in. There was two men, one we've already mentioned by the name of Paul. He had a sidekick at the time named Silas. The Bible says they were in a prison, chained. And not only were they in the prison, they were in the prison of the prison. This prison had two prisons. It had a prison and had a prison inside of the prison. And they were inside the prison of the prison. Chained up. No hope looking at potential execution. Certain doom. And the Bible says in that moment, at the darkest time, at the midnight hour, the Bible says they begin to praise him. And you know what the great thing about praise is? The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. They couldn't get out of that prison, but their praise got God into that prison. And you know what? Guess what? They came out with their hands up. Some of you today need to say it this way. I'm coming out with my hands up. I'm coming out today with my hands up. How? Because you know what? I can't get out, but if I can give him some praise... In the middle of this, he'll come in. And if I can get God in, the Bible says when they got God in that place, the ground began to shake and it shook so much the doors popped off the hinges. Chains fell off. And they walked out. I wonder right now, those of you that would, would you just lift your hands to heaven? Just you and Jesus. And just begin to worship him. Begin to praise him. Begin to magnify him. Begin to build a habitation for Him. Yeah, you're in a situation where you can't get out. That's okay. I'm coming out with my hands up. Because I'm going to get my hands up and praise. And as I praise Him, God will find a way in. There is no wall too thick He cannot do. There is no chain too strong He cannot break. There is no darkness too dark that He cannot find a way in. Oh, hallelujah. God, we're in this place today. Some of us feel like we can't get out of where we are. But I know, Lord, that when we can't get out, you can get in. Oh, in the name of Jesus, I lose the spirit of faith in this place today. I lose the spirit of faith to rise up in your people in the name of Jesus. Come on, some of you that have made some, made some choices or have, you've deviated a little bit off the track, that's okay. Let's just give it to God today and start over today. Let's give it to God today and start afresh today. We're not going back to change anything. It's under the blood. We're just going to let God start a new track today. Oh, I'm, I'm letting you start anew today. I'm letting you start a new day today. I'm letting you start a new day today. It's a new day. Come on, some of you, it's time to start. stop listening to that voice in your head. I take dominion and authority right now over every lie of the adversary. I curse it and rebuke it now in the name of Jesus Christ. I tear down every lie and I pull off the cover and expose the truth that's in the lie of the adversary in the name of Jesus. And I loose the light of the gospel into the heart of people today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ come on some of you today can be a day of change today can be a day of change you don't have to go back you can go forward today old things passed away all things made new 
Oh, in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's just take a moment and reach over next to somebody right now. Let's pray with one another. Come on, the Holy Ghost is in here today. Come on, pray for your brother, your sister. Pray that the lie of the adversary that's battling them, that that lie would be broken. That lie would be broken. If you don't know what to pray, why don't you join together and begin to worship, begin to praise. When you can't get out, God can get in. Oh, Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, the Holy Ghost is moving. Come on, the Holy Ghost is moving. I feel hope rising in some hearts. I feel faith rising right now. Come on, the devil's told you. It's too late for you. The devil's told you it's too late. But I tell you today, that's a lie. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope. Oh, I lose a spirit of hope in this place today. I lose the spirit of hope in this place today. I lose the spirit of hope to rise in this place today. In the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus! Jesus! Oh, yes! Yeah! Oh, God, I can't make it out, but I know you can make it in. I know you can make it in. Oh. Oh. Come on, the devil's a liar. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. You don't have to listen to that lie. You don't have to listen to that lie. Choose today. I don't want to listen to that lie no more. Whatever you want to do, God. Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. Oh! Hallelujah! Come on, there's no sin too great that His forgiveness cannot do. There is nothing too great that God's blood cannot reach into. Forgiveness can flow. Yeah! Oh, 